0: it's a delight to have crystal Martin, uh, with us, uh, this afternoon. Uh, we were talking a couple of weeks ago and, uh, crystal, you said something that really, uh, grabbed my attention. You, we, we were talking about glass ceilings, but you also referenced sticky floors. Okay. And, uh, I had never, uh, heard that, uh, that metaphor used. And so all I could think of is uh, gum on my shoe. So, uh, <laughs> uh let's talk about women in ministry and um uh so i have i have communicated to the to the network family that we'd be talking about those two things uh, among others uh, it's a it's a blank canvas so you you can say oh. whatever you want but remember it's being recorded
1: right okay i'm gonna be <laughs> careful
0: <laughs> okay but uh, tell us about yourself uh and your present context crystal Can you hear me? I can.
1: Okay. I just changed. I had my earphones in and I was having a difficult time hearing. So I've taken them out. Okay. Can you all hear me well? Okay. Yeah. And so you just want me to start um, explaining a little bit about myself and the ministry of the network of women ministers. Is that good? Pastor? Yes. Awesome. So Crystal Martin. I see my friend Joe Burrell on the screen who has some Chi Alpha rootedness. My, I I work on the national staff of Chi Alpha Campus Ministry here in Springfield, Missouri. So that's part of my, um, let's see if I can get it back to full screen here. Okay, so that's part of my, um, my role, but I'm here today to talk about the Network of Women Ministers. It was started in the, National World by Beth Grant and Dr. George Wood about 25 years ago. So we've been in existence about 25 years, but I've been in this specific role for four years. And I think what my passion was for years, the Network of Women Ministers was a national work group. And it was my heart and passion, so even as I see Liz Dufresne on the screen, it was my heart and passion to take some of the initiatives that we had nationally and push them down to the grassroots. um, The grassroots kind of workings of how we can empower women ministers, so our mission is very simple Um, we're here to empower women ministers to fulfill their ministerial call so um, it's kind of fun to be on this call the day after when most of us celebrated pentecost and i often say that as pentecostals we um you know we read a lot of the scriptures yet yesterday about the when the holy spirit comes upon us he will we will be his witnesses and um so, so I believe there's something about Pentecost that's, that pushes us beyond the familiar and pushes us to the nations and pushes us out. Um, and, and in many ways, the the sons and the daughters is part of pushing the story out as much as Pentecost was about um, the 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 power to take the gospel. The interesting piece is who is doing it. It's both the sons and the daughters, and so it kind of it kind of goes back into our ethos of. Who who we are. I had this unique experience just a couple months ago of traveling to see the Azusa Street Revival. And how wonderful was that to walk those streets where William and Jenny Seymour planted this work that much of what we do is rooted back to? And what was so cool of that story is Jenny Seymour, who often doesn't get talked about was a single minister in that revival time who was one of the very first to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and later Mary William who together they co-pastored a church. One of the interesting facts is he passed away and she continued pastoring the church for another 14 years. But when we went to their grave, it was interesting that her grave was unmarked until 1980. And in in some ways it showcases as women have been planted and gone out in ministry all the way from our beginnings, from our biblical roots, all the way from our beginnings. As I sat there at that grave and I thought it took till 1983 (laughs) until that grave of Jenny Seymour was marked. And sometimes as women ministers, that's kind of the situation that we're dealing with. We work we pray, we dig in, but sometimes because of cultural context, we find um, that we're doing it without title <laughs> and sometimes without um, without being marked. And so I'm really grateful to live in a day where we have a female vice president. We have three women on our Supreme Court justice and of medical schools and law schools at this point are women. So it's a good day to be a woman (laughs) in leadership and definitely a good day to be a woman in ministry. So a little bit of background and then I'll move into what pastor mentioned about um, I, I just just quickly I one thing I forgot, as I said, our mission mobilizing women to fulfill their ministerial call. And then I also love to share our what our belief statement is and it's simply this this the image of God is best reflected and the church of Christ. The church of Jesus is healthiest when both men and women are empowered to serve at every level of church leadership. So sometimes I say I'm in this less for the women and more for the church, (laughs) because there's something powerful when men and women really step into, whether you say the garden mandate, Fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth when we do that side by side there's something powerful, or our Pentecostal mandate that says he's pouring his spirit out on his sons and his daughters so. Those are the things that motivate me um, is being fully who the church is called to be, being fully what the garden mandates us to be and fully Pentecostal. So those are some things that motivate us. But when we do think about what are the things that become roadblocks to women in ministry, and I sh- I'm sure that that's some of the things that you're asking even as a network and district as we're looking for pastors to fill churches. And it it, it feels like the time is ready, but it is true. As you mentioned, there are two things that we have to overcome. And I feel like the marketplace world has given us good language for this. And that is those sticky floors and those glass ceilings. And the glass ceilings are, the organizational structures that potentially prefer a people group. And so that make it difficult for women to step into leadership a couple of those glass ceilings if i could just maybe mention them is yeah. you know sometimes when i see young people who are called into ministry maybe at the age of 21 and you'll have a young woman and a young man both of them have a heart for ministry both the young woman and the young man maybe they feel uh, like youth like they like working with youth you'll you'll see the young man very easily be be able to say i feel called to be a youth pastor (laughs) oftentimes the young woman will say i feel called to be a youth worker a youth mentor women have a hard time this is part of that glass floor and that's the glass ceiling organizationally and sticky floors sticky floors are the self-doubt that sometimes women have that because they have not seen pastoral leadership modeled by as many women as men oftentimes women have a lot of self-doubt to even step into those roles. Mm -hmm. So what we see happening is in our early 20s, women often will become the administrator of the youth pastor, where the man will become the youth pastor's intern. And what happens is those two people are trained differently by the time they're 30. And we see skills sometimes genderized and we kind of wonder well why do we see more men but if we're really why do we see more men but if we really pay attention to how we're educating who's getting opportunities um, and who's volunteering and that's part of so who's getting opportunities is the glass ceiling so if, if the opportunities are being preferred to men then that's the glass ceiling if it is the willingness to volunteer, that's almost the sticky floors. If Does that kind of make sense, the difference in the two? So those sure. sticky floors are those um, those things that say, you know, I'm not even sure if I can use the word pastor to describe me, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Do I am I really welcome at that table? Mm-hmm. Um, do I am I qualified? Imposter syndrome is very big among women. Um, people will have major degrees and have experience and still not feel quite like they're ready for the table God's calling them up to. So, imposter syndrome seems to be a bigger deal among women. So, as church leaders, as and and as we're looking to empower both men and women to fulfill their call these are some things to pay attention to are are we do we need to do a better job and I think Pastor Don what thrilled my spirit was when you talked about bringing a group of female ministers and asking them had any considered being a lead pastor and I think you said nobody had mm-hmm. and so that would be some quite a sticky floor because if, if you haven't seen anybody step into that you may not even dream about it We all know we're all about the call, but when you pay attention to it, the call often comes with the framework of familiarity. Mm -hmm. We've seen somebody before us and God uses that, the Holy Spirit uses that to speak to us. And so the call often requires, now not always, we have people that have dreams and say, you know, go to the mission field when they're eight years old and they've really not had a vision of it. But for the most point, people are called into something they've seen or heard. That's why it's so important to give young people Example and permission. I see my good friend Joanne Butrin. She has been giving women for years example and permission, example of a woman minister who's who's doing it and permission to dream. I see Joanne doing it. Therefore, I can see myself doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know um, I see Liz Dufresne on your call. She is the same. Nicole Schreiber is the same. I see, I believe, I can do. So when you think about what is our job as ministers empowering this next generation of women ministers, it's kind of both and. Thinking about how can we eliminate those glass ceilings, which maybe prefer men in our hiring practices. Um, You know, are we looking for the son of our Um, person we went to Bible college with. That might be a hiring practice that prefers men (laughs) Mm -hmm. in our organizational structure. Or is it a sticky floor where women are saying, gosh, I just not sure I'm welcome to this table. I think if we look at both of those, we're going to start shrinking that considerably. And our next five years could be one of the most Prolific years of seeing that garden mandate really come to fruition where we see men and women walking side by side, both fruitful and multiplication. I always tell guys, we need you in the home. <laughs> it's important. We need us all. And we need us all subduing the earth together. And I'm I'm just very excited for the next five years that we can um, that we can see that happen. I'll close with this. And then if there's any questions. There's a really good Harvard Business Review article out there that talks about how do we make this happen, right? So it's a good notion like, wow, yes, we need to help women off their sticky floors and kind of start eliminating those glass ceilings. So if I could just give you a few of those that I have seen working really well. Um, first thing is recruitment. And I think Pastor Don, when you said you started talking to women, there is nothing more powerful than the ask. And especially when young women women from the university and up start feeling seen, I see these gifts in you and I'm calling them out. You might see yourself as this, but I see you as that. And those kind of words over young people can be extremely powerful. So recruitment, especially recruitment for women is incredibly powerful. Second, mentoring. And I mentioned how sometimes mentoring gets genderized. So, you know, you have women over here being mentored by women and men over here being mentored by men. Um, if we can really find ways to ensure that our women are getting holistic ministry training, how do we lead a board? How do we preach? You know, all of those things that in the past have been genderized by um, even in training venues that is something that um, that mentoring is as we think about your pipeline you're a lead pastor who's thinking who could replace me who am I mentoring and if you see a gender diverse pipeline that's going to help us start pulling up women into all leadership um, so anyway mentoring, Third, we did this in Chi Alpha, and it has made such a difference. About 15 years ago, we started a diversity task group where we started actually paying attention to both gender and ethnic diversity. We were ethnically diverse and gender diverse on the ground, but our leadership was 92% white and led by mostly male, when you looked at our upper level leadership 14 years ago. So we started a diversity task force to start paying attention to steps to make change. And can I tell you 12 years later, I'm extremely proud at, um, at the changes we've seen happen, even at upper level leadership, as we empowered a diversity task force to begin to not just talk about change, but to put the practices in to to make change. And then um, uh, two more, engage for change, the more men and women work together on boards and um, sometimes even at your church board level. I know that this is a big deal, helping church boards understand and walk with both men and women applicants that is incredibly important. I just met with a woman who is a Assemblies of God ordained minister, but was unable to find a church in the Assemblies of God in middle America, ended up pastoring a Methodist church and has thrived. And she said her congregation has never Asked once about having or had any pushback about having a female minister. They just celebrate her often. And I do think there's some work that needs to be done at the church level um potentially our, some of our Methodist brothers and sisters have already done that work to prepare boards and congregations for women leaders and so that kind of inclusion is important and I'm going to end with this I already mentioned standardized hiring um as we look at pastors um sometimes when we look at networks and who are our personal networks of friends we often keep candidates and gender specific roles some of my friends are women some of guys friends are men right so standardized hiring practices can help sometimes overcome those um, those those kind those practices that are very who you know centric So um, having a strong application process and testing process in all of our application from churches to then also district roles can help us um, bring some gender diversity in our staff. So those are some just thoughts. I feel really honored to get to share them. And I'd love to have questions or um, comments as we move forward.
0: So uh, what I'm hearing you say, Crystal, is that glass ceilings are kind of externally imposed. Sticky floors are rather internally imposed. Right. So the glass ceiling can be the, uh, the 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 male-dominated culture or organizational culture, and uh, we've certainly we've certainly gone through a generation or two. Where uh, the favorite uh, verse to quote was, "Women should keep silent in the church," and uh, from that rolled out a whole philosophy of ministry and ministry involvement. And uh, I always saw it a little uh, as being a little bit duplicitous that. Um, uh, women were okay to serve on foreign fields in leadership just not the home field mm-hmm. and um, uh, women could f- functionally begin and carve out ministries uh, really using apostolic giftings yes. uh, but they weren't qualified then to pastor the work that they started uh, so there was there, there's been a long-standing uh, uh, contradiction uh, internally and uh, every now and again uh, someone like John MacArthur uh, jumps to the front of the line and gets a megaphone and lots of uh, lots of attention but um, uh, personally I see the uh, uh, 25 percent of our nearly 25 percent I think it's 23 point something percent of our Pendel credential holders are female uh, and uh, I, I presently, uh, just for the ladies that are on the call, and if you ladies uh, are persons of influence, I want you to leverage your influence uh, doing exactly what Crystal has, has talked about, and that is recruitment, calling out giftings, mentoring. Uh, as I started to say, um, we have about 18 open churches I have less than a dozen viable uh, resumes from our network. So we have more open churches than we have homegrown uh, leaders to pastor them. I have zero female lead pastor applications or resumes. And this has been common. Uh, the most I've ever had in queue is one or two. Uh, And I understand and maybe Crystal and others that are on the call can help process this because there are some unique unique dynamics uh, for a woman accepting a lead pastor's role. Her husband may or may not be the primary breadwinner. What does it look like? It's nothing for... The husband, to I don't want to say that's an overstatement, it's nothing. It's not as impactful when the husband's transferred across the country or he has a job opportunities across the state, pick up the family, move and go to where the opportunity is. Uh, That looks different from a woman's point of view.
1: Uh,
0: Go ahead, please.
1: Yeah, I could I could definitely speak to that. I yeah. I think actually it is maybe less that there is part of that, but I will say our culture is shifting with so many at home jobs. Yes. Where um so so I in some ways I think the more difficult thing than that that is a piece and it's been a piece of the past. Mm-hmm. Um when I look at my two young adult sons. Um, they don't think through the lens of a a woman following them even even in pre-marriage. So I do think our culture is shifting to um, think through the lens of walking together. So that, that's a piece that's shifting in our younger generation, at least from what I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. I think one of the harder things for women, and I'm just gonna be very honest, is being a woman in ministry, especially a woman in leadership, you have probably had to have some sideways energy. <laughs> they're you're you're dealing with somebody the last time you preached coming up and bringing the bible next to you saying do what it says right here that women should be silent why are you up there Mm -hmm. so whether it be from a theological position where people are coming you know like almost coming against you or from a place of tradition. They're just not used to seeing women up front. So so pretty much through my entire journey I, I could give you multiple, multiple experiences. And as I speak to women, our movement, these are common. We don't wear them on our, you know, we don't make badges out of them and wear them around, but they're they're part of our story and narrative, which sometimes makes stepping into places like lead pastor, it, it can feel like a scary experience. Am I going to get more of that? Am I, how, how am I going to be, um, what are the people next to me gonna say? Am I gonna have to go through more of what I've experienced in the past? So there's also that piece that women bring. And I was just speaking to one of our, just such a talented pastor in um, in, a, in a different district. And she was telling me that she lives in an area that's very complementarian as far as the churches surrounding her, so the if she works within her city among other pastors she's very excluded <laughs> you know she's she's not welcome in citywide events mm-hmm. and so she used this language she said, among my people, I need a soft place to land. I need a place that are gonna love me and know me and see me as a pastor. And I do believe as the Assemblies of God movement who has been empowering women for generations, we need to be that for women. We need to be that safe landing place that they're very likely going to experience harder things in the ecumenical world. And so they're looking for a safe place to land, and if a lead pastor position sometimes can feel like a tough place to land, and so they're going to need more support and more um, love, so to speak, at times, um, because those places are hard. So I'll just offer that as potentially another reason that um, I think all of these are overcomable.
0: Yeah. Good, good. Other questions or comments? Uh, Feel free to uh, unmute your mic and go for it.
2: I just want to
0: say thank you to Pastor Don for your support of women in ministry. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. When I was... uh, it's when very was,
1: obvious that this is a safe place to land for women. So thank you.
0: <laughs> when I was in um, grad school, um, uh, I was going through emerge uh, Emerges Counseling Program, and uh, I was rather shocked, maybe a little put off, when uh, Doc Dobbins shared uh, just an offhanded comment one time in one of his uh, one of his classes that. Uh, Pastoral ministry is basically feminine. Hmm. And uh, I thought to myself, that isn't me, Doc. I'm not feminine. So, uh, but, you know, it, it only took a few moments of reflection that the caring, counseling, consoling, empathy, uh, all of those attributes that we would uh, say make for a good pastor are are easily embodied or more naturally embodied by a female than it is by a male. You know, men men find themselves a little bit um, uh, having to pedal faster to keep up with that. Uh, so, um, but on the other hand, leadership has tended to be more masculine than feminine, which is not to say that there haven't been female leaders. That's not the case. But but generally speaking, when we think of a male being assertive, uh, we we we, we contextualize that one way. We just say, wow, he's a good leader. But if a female is being assertive, uh, we look at that a whole different way. Yeah. How do you get through that? How do you how do you move through those channels?
1: Yeah. Um, wow, that is a tough question.
0: <laughs> That's why I asked you. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm normally quick on my feet, but that <laughs> that one takes my breath away a little bit. Um, <laughs> It is, it is very true. And, and sometimes as a woman, it's hard, it's hard to hear my friends labeled so quickly as um, bossy, you know, just, just these labels um, put on very quickly to women. And I, I could defer to my good friend, Joanne Butrin that talks about, I don't want to go <clears throat> wrong, Joanne, but being a woman of strength rather than a strong woman did I say that right, Joanne? Yes. Okay. So is that right?
3: <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. I was going to okay. say that. Good. I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah. So she um, she's done some good training with us to um, help maybe... Um, with, you know, really think of how we are as women of strength and not have to think we have to bring kind of a strong exterior just to fit in or um, just to get our voice across. And so there's that piece but then there's also the piece of quick stereotype. So if you have the, if anyone on the call has the answers um, I'd love to hear it, but I do, I do pray that those are stereotypes that can be dropped. Um, as our world starts seeing more women in leadership as a common, um, I, I often say this, that there's been few points in human history where our world has so many female leaders um, that, that give us vision. And so hopefully, as the world begins to showcase women leading, that some of those stereotypes will begin to drop and um. There's just kind of a freedom to be ourselves.
2: So how do we get more connected with the network of women ministers?
1: Ooh, great question. Um, I see Liz Defrain on the call right now. Liz, do you wanna answer that or do you want, do you have, Liz is working with me there in the Pindell District.
4: Yeah. And I, I, we are going to really begin of a meeting next week, Pastor Don, I was waiting for um, clarity of position, kind of, I don't like to step on any toes or go where I'm not, not given authority to go. So now that I feel like I have that authority, um, we will really begin to move on this now. So look for something in the quick future, connect us together.
1: So yeah, the network of women ministers is coming to Pindell. So you're going to start seeing some ways that you can, um, you know, statistics tell us that women go together, go further. We need each other as women ministers, and there are some unique conversations that we can have as women ministers. Our goal is co-ed ministry. We're ready to walk right next to our men in ministry, um, but there are ways that um, we can grow together as women. So for right now as liz is going to start digging into the pindell district nationally you can check us out on our websites women in ag women ministers on instagram and facebook and the network of women ministers so we have podcasts that come out every month that address a women in ministry topic things like glass ceilings and stained glass floors. And, you know, well, we may, we usually we try to bring experts in to talk about some of the unique um, aspects of being a woman minister. So we just did an online conference that you're welcome to register for now and watch. So um, there's some pretty wonderful things online. And then I believe you're going to start
4: seeing some new things come to the pindell
1: district also.
4: Yeah. Let me say this. I just saw Lisa Rodriguez. Lisa, you're there somewhere. I saw you in the conference room. So Lisa's our female presbyter. She's going to jump on that with me. And awesome, I, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. And I don't know if Nicole Schreiber's on. Nicole, are you on this at the moment? She's also going to jump on just like kind of the core team to get it going. So awesome. look for it. I sent all I sent all the female press, all the female all the female credential holders the link to that conference. Yeah. Before it was. So you should have that in your email somewhere. If you haven't watched it, it's a great go back and take a look at it. Has was really good content.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks. Uh, let, me, let me just ask this question. Lorna, you're um, the only female lead pastor uh, that I see on the call. Um, help us. What are some of the unique the the unique uh, challenges, maybe even the unique opportunities that you experience being a lead pastor. Now, I know you've never been a a male lead pastor, so (laughs) it might be, you know what, you can't even say that today. I am sorry. My head was just flooded with a couple of
2: thoughts. This is Um, being recorded. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's
0: true. Oh, my. Uh, But anyway, uh, Lorna, uh, what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that you face in your role as a female lead pastor?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, actually, Crystal, it was great to hear you talk about before some of the things because when you were talking about Pastor Don asking the ladies in the room, like, who aspires to be lead pastors, I was in that room when he asked that question and I put my hands under my legs because I did not like aspire mm. that. But that conversation that day planted a seed in my heart. Oh. And um, a year ago, then I became a lead pastor, I'd been in one church for 30 years, so the um. And I I see how God has seasons of equipping and preparing us for the next role. And I was really inspired, Crystal, by what you were saying about being a role model for other women and calling people forth to their calling and just that as they see it, they they think it's normal a kind of a thing because that really touched my heart. It kind of like put a little, like it choked, it choked me up a little bit because I, I think about the 30 years of ministry that I have been, and I have felt those sticky floors and the glass ceilings and wondering, you know, what else is there for me? And just being limited by, you know, our own assumptions. So as pastor Don just really said, Hey, I give these women permission to do that, man, that just opened up a world of possibilities. And, and I just see how in my lifetime of ministry my season of ministry over the last 30 plus years how the culture has shifted and there is um much more receptivity to women leading and being um pastoring so i i and i totally um pastor don you want to hear like an opportunity i completely agree with the um kind of the maternal instincts and giftings coming out. Um, I'm a campus pastor for Allison Park Church, and I am in a low-income community pastoring. And I know at the time when I was interviewing for the role, um, you know, part of the conversation was, well, you know, I think a, a female a female leader there would be a good fit like a maternal role would be a good fit for that community and i was like oh okay whatever you know but as i've been there i see how a, a maternal figure is actually a really great fit for that community in that context and so one of the opportunities is i think the maternal the maternal giftings. And, um, you know, there there are, there are some challenges as far as like, you know, there's always like the enemy's putting things in your mind. Do I measure up? Am I less than, you know, all those doubts. And so I um, very regularly declare over my life that I'm called, I'm anointed, you know, all those things that the enemy wants to put in your mind. And, but I don't think that's gender specific. I think men go through those doubts too, as far as like, am I called, am I anointed? But I think just sometimes it's just the the things that I've seen and the conditioning that I've I, that has unintentionally been placed on women through the years. I just I'm I'm constantly rewiring my brain for some of that, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but I just kind of shared my heart a little bit. Yeah, thank yes. you,
1: Lorna. That was so powerful. That rewiring of our mind and um, that that has to happen because of what we have seen. And I'll I'll say two things that I've noticed that are real potential wins right now for for us as networks and specifically women. I do see women coming into ministry as a second career. Um, I just worked with someone who had been a school counselor for many years and was then the vice president, I mean, sorry, the vice principal. And she's bringing into this ministry context, a lot of leadership skills, who sled on big, big, really big stages. If you're a vice principal of a of a high school in Texas, you bring a lot of skills to the table. And what she was noticing is when she went into the ministry world, she was being put at entry level. So one thing I was gonna say, as you're looking in leadership, especially women that are coming in second career, pay attention to their resumes because many have leadership skills that they're bringing in that are such a gift to us. Um, both Melissa Alfaro, who's our one of our EPs, was a top leader in the education rank. So is Ellie Maraquin. Um, so, so, so a lot of our women are second career. So pay attention to that, what they're bringing in and don't <laughs> put them at entry level, if that makes sense. They're ready to step into some higher level leadership. The second is, as you mentioned, I really help young women as they are stepping into ministry. So this is for both men and women. As I'm walking alongside them, women have been mentally trained to be specialists. And oftentimes, as I mentioned, the young woman who steps in as the administrative assistant, the young man who is the intern. Interns are trained as generalists. You're going to have to learn how to run a board. You're going to have to... And, and and women sometimes have been given permission to what I call peace out. Let me tell you what this means. Pastor Jim Bradford, former secretary of the Assemblies of God, is my pastor now, and I've been on staff with him for four years. He said when he was called into ministry, he said, Jesus, I'll do anything but preach. I I don't want to preach but as a male in ministry you can't say that. <laughs> it's you you are forced as a young man to say I may not like this but I've got to I've got to engage it. Women, I think in our earlier years, are able to say things like, I don't like that. I don't wanna do that. It doesn't, and and so I really began to press my young women specifically, if they'll start saying, well, I don't wanna, just I'll do anything but in front of the mic. I'm like, you know what, if you're gonna be a minister, it's sometimes you gotta have the mic. If you're gonna be a minister, um, at some point you're gonna have to do this. And so really looking at preparing your young women as generalists, who then can specialize. You know, if you're gonna be a youth minister, you're gonna be specialized, but women tend to specialize more and lead pastors need generalists. And so um, paying attention to your young women and how we're training them up can help women prepare to step into Joanne Butrin's role um, when she she leaves that role. So we need to pay attention to that as we're training um, our young women.
0: So I want to. I just want to tag team uh, with you there, Crystal, and uh, both men, but especially women, um, recognizing the call of God in other people's lives. You know, for a season, uh, there were a lot of well-meaning individuals calling people into ministry that weren't called into ministry, and so you know the pendulum swings from extreme to extreme. So you had these. Extreme uh, cases of people being called into ministry that weren't called—they were their grandma was calling them, or their uh, Sunday school teacher, or whoever it might have been. So now we we shy away from that, but I believe that uh, that biblically uh, functioning in the gifts of the Spirit, I, I think that we can uh, embrace uh, the gift of discernment. And that we do, in fact, just just from a natural point of view, uh, when you're immersed in a culture, in a calling, you're going to recognize that more quickly in others than perhaps they're newbies. They've never experienced the call. They're processing it, praying about it, and so forth. So being able to speak prophetically, uh, accurately, genuinely, but but being able to speak prophetically into other people's lives, recognizing that call, having conversations about how it might develop and roll out. And um, uh, I don't think there'd be anyone that it'd be more natural than for uh, a woman to speak to another woman mm-hmm. and say things like, "I notice in you." Uh, a higher than average uh, propensity for, for ministry. Uh, what are you making of that? What's the Holy Spirit speaking in your heart? Where do you dream about going in the future uh, and, and being able to help process and then uh, break the, the glass ceiling and uh, get some solvent and get the stickiness off of your feet um, and, uh, and help them to, uh, to aspire and prepare and eventually be deployed uh, into these roles. Um, in the last couple of years, we've seen quite a good number of our churches, uh, uh, and I have this conversation with about near every board uh, when we sit down at the table and talk about their transition their pastor just resigned or he's retiring they're going to be looking at resumes one of the first things i, I talk about is are you open to a female lead pastor even though i don't have any resumes right now uh, i don't know when i'm going to get one and i want to i want to be begin plowing the soil so that we can either plant seeds or uh, take advantage of opportunities uh, where church boards would be open to a female lead pastor. I'm not going to go in and rock their world and, you know, (laughs) mandate them to consider something because that's just not fruitful. It's not going to work. Influence is what's going to be uh, helpful there. But, But back to the females that are on the call, you're a female credential holder. And uh, maybe you recognize the call of God in someone else's life and nurturing that call, helping them to understand it and see the uh, potential for it and what they need to do to get from point A to point B and fulfilling God's will and God's call in their life. Uh, I just want to call on you all to... uh, uh, to join the party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we need, we need more ministers and we need yeah. more lead ministers. We need more children's pastors. We need more yes. youth pastors that we're, we're, that's just the way it is. And, um, um, we need to do this as a team.
1: Awesome. I see Alicia down there. I, I can't remember if it was her, but there was just a great article, um, PE news, on calling out gifts and other women. And Nicole Schreiber was highlighted. Oh, cool. And who had really been influential in another woman's journey. So um, she's, yeah, she's she's a really on a national stage now. So thank you for um, kind of letting us tell her story too, because she's very gifted at that.
0: I'm taking notes.
3: <laughs> and I just say, uh, Pastor Don, how much, um wonderful spirit crystal has brought to the network i was actually on the original task force with beth grant all those years ago <laughs> but um crystal has just inspired us so much and um she she has such a gift at explaining all of this and i, I would highly recommend that you take advantage of the podcasts. uh you know we were mentioning the theological point of view of people who say well it's not scriptural um one of her lead persons, Sehi Duran, she does a great job at working through that on the Better Together series. So um, Crystal, we really appreciate you and I feel honored to work by your side.
1: Yeah. Joanne is our AGWM liaison for the for NWM. So really seeing some very cool things happening in both um, U.S. missions and um, and world missions right now with our female leaders. So
0: Great, great.
1: Thank you, Joanne.
0: Well, we're gonna need to bring this in for a landing. Uh, It's been a great uh, conversation, Crystal, and we will look forward to collaborating more uh, uh, Mm -hmm. as we move forward. And uh, let me say to to all of our uh, lead, uh, not lead pastors, but uh, women credential, female credential holders, that if you see um, things that we can be doing as a network, to help uh, move this forward. Uh, Please don't hesitate to reach out to us and share with us your your feelings and your thoughts. Um, uh, That would would just help us to do better what we're doing. So thank Thank you. Thank you
1: for spending this lunch with me. It was a treat to be with you.
0: Well, thank you, Crystal. All right. Well, hey, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and bless you with lots of peace. So have a great day, everybody.